Welcome to Risking Enchantment, a podcast about art, beauty, and the Catholic faith. Hosted by Rachel Sherlock. Hello and welcome to the second episode of Risking Enchantment. Uh, For this week's episode, you have myself, Rachel Sherlock, and my wonderful flatmate, Phoebe Watson. Um, So we're coming to you from the glamorous location of 221B Baker Street, which is the name that we give our flat. Is this not going to be where we record every podcast? Um, No, I'm thinking of taking it out on the street. Um, (laughs) No, yeah, probably. (laughs) Um, So uh, we're starting into the second episode of the podcast, but we're actually going to be drawing on a good bit of uh, what we were talking about in episode one. Um, So make sure you go back and listen to that. But just to sum up, we talked a lot about in that episode, completely coincidentally, it wasn't a theme, but we talked about darkness and how um, darkness can be an opportunity to encounter God. And believe it or not, I'm actually talking about physical darkness, not just darkness of the soul. Yeah, I think we were just talking about physical darkness this time. (laughs) I know, I did say it to a friend today that, oh, you might be interested in this. We're talking about darkness. um, And... They were like, I'm a pretty cheery person. I was like, oh, I I meant actually that it's pretty dark (laughs) physically. Um, So uh, it's November as we're recording this. We're kind of in mid-November. But I'm pretty sure that I'll probably go to sleep tonight and wake up and it'll be Advent because that's how fast time seems to be going. So uh, we're hoping for this particular episode to be out near the start of Advent. Um, And so we're going to be doing an Advent-themed episode all about darkness. Are you excited, Phoebe? Very. (laughs) So to recap on the kind of topics that we touched on from uh, the last episode, I'm not going to go into too much detail, but we were specifically talking about um, church spaces, stained glass windows, artwork, and um, the encounter with God in places that aren't, I think I use the phrase, aren't like a shopping mall, fluorescent light. Um, And that's pretty easy to think about if you're like us and you live in Ireland, because currently our dark evenings start at about 4pm. It is definitely dark by the time I leave work at 5. Oh yeah, it's about 4, maybe 4.30 yeah, <laughs> our our evenings are very long in the summer and then very, I don't think, to be honest, we just don't have evenings. We have noon and then we have nighttime um, from about November onwards. <laughs> At least not further north. It could be worse. It could be worse. Um, I don't know how, I, to be honest though, I think I would manage less well with the really, really long um, summer days. Yeah. It's weird enough when it's still bright here at almost midnight. Um, but yeah, so it's pretty dark here and which means that we're kind of coming into the Christmas time, particularly as Phoebe, you've made a point recently that I hadn't been thinking about, which is that, uh, the Christmas lights are already in full swing. Yeah. I was in Grafton street this week mm-hmm. and I looked around and the Christmas lights were all lit and I was like, the clocks went back three weeks ago. So when the clocks went back, we went from having a little bit of daylight going home and kind of sunset Mm -hmm. to pure blackness. Yep. And it felt like the minute that happened, everybody else was like, oh, we need to turn all the Christmas lights on. Yep. And straight away. that really struck me as wrong because Mm -hmm. you need to let the darkness sit Mm -hmm. to be able to appreciate the light. Yeah. 
Whereas I think in especially in the city, we're just running from the dark, and then mm. that makes the dark seem even worse. Yeah, I think that's a really good point, and I think it's it's telling that both of us grew up in the countryside, where um, if it was dark, it was just dark. Uh, there wasn't much you could do about it. But that's what got us thinking about Advent and why darkness is an important part of Advent. Um, and I was thinking about the two kind of. Um, seasons of of waiting and expectation. Advent isn't actually a penitential season, but it, it's sort of grouped with Lent. Um, Phoebe's giving me a slightly confused look. I did double check that before this podcast started. It, no, it isn't actually a penitential season. I believe you. <laughs> <laughs> so we were... Uh, I was thinking about um, what Lent and Advent mean, and I was kind of reflecting on how it's interesting that we we essentially manufacture a distance between ourselves and God. Um, Obviously God is always present, um, whether we feel him or not. Uh, But in terms of the liturgical season, um, this is a season when we, I I, I don't know whether it's kind of too facile to say we pretend he's not there, um, because that sounds like we're being children, but in a sense that we know God is present, but we're also looking forward to him coming, which implies that there is a distance that he has to traverse to to meet us, or rather for us to meet him. Yeah, we kind of join with all of Israel in waiting Mm -hmm. for the Messiah. Yeah. And recall that time, as well as then that beautiful time of Mary being pregnant. Because obviously, if you think about it from the Annunciation, it's, it's been a while. Yeah. But we don't have the capacity to remember that for nine months of every year. So... Kind of, I guess I could take it from the Immaculate Conception yeah. up to Christmas. Yeah, definitely. And I think it's it's about allowing yourself to feel a distance so that you can encounter someone new. I was thinking Lent is a very, it, it's it's fasting, it's quite a physical experience, it's, um, it's more of a mourning experience because you're kind of approaching Good Friday and obviously I know there's the, the great as Tolkien might say, the catastrophe of the Easter Sunday Yeah, but you, again, in Lent we pretend that Easter isn't there yeah. to a certain extent. Because we like the like the the apostles, we don't know that there's an Easter Sunday coming Yeah. Um, at the end of Good Friday we... Like, as a Protestant we would always put the two together and then it means you gloss over mm-hmm. the crucifixion yeah. and you don't give it time to sit. Yeah. Um, whereas, um, well, I mean, there are good Protestants who do. My parent at my parents' parish have started a good Good Friday service that doesn't recall yeah. the resurrection. Yeah. But that abide. We need to abide. Yeah in that crucifixion and not withdraw from the horror horror of it and go straight to what we love in the resurrection. Like yeah. to go straight to the light. Yeah. Which again is the temptation here in Advent to go it's, yeah, straight it's very into easy. Christmas. Yeah, it's very easy to say, let's start celebrating Christmas yeah. now. Um, and the, the thing that struck me with Advent um, is that to me it's almost like preparing to meet a friend, that like your best friend who you haven't seen in ages there's that kind of nervous excitement where they haven't arrived yet. But I know when I was a kid, uh, we would see our cousins who lived in England once a year. And I remember the sort of like level of manic excitement when we were waiting for the car to arrive at the drive and like getting the house ready and going for the big shop. And there's 
there is a real beauty in like crafting a preparation that um, suitably prepares you to meet someone that you love. Whereas in... That's a really good way of looking at it. That yeah. We're, yeah, we're supposed to be crafting the preparation to meet him again. Yeah, and I think that's so exciting. But it, there is a, there is definitely an element of darkness to it. And I was thinking for the Lent one, it's, it's really vocalised. And the necessity for all Christians to do it is really vo- vocalised. And when that moment on the cross, when, when Jesus himself says, you know, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Um, and there's much more articulate and beautiful reflections on what that means for Jesus himself to put himself, I think some people have said, almost in the place of an atheist, to feel the absence, mm. for God himself to feel the absence of God, which is kind of, uh, it, it's so breathtaking to think about. If you understand it, it isn't God. So, but, you know, Christ did do that. And if Christ can see the necessity to experience that lack, then it's it's also a good thing for us Christians to do it. Um, and I think, as we were saying, Ireland in particular, and, and a lot of places in the Northern Hemisphere, they get very dark at, at, at during Advent. So it makes sense to abide in that physical darkness that is also a sign of um, the times in our life when we we do feel far away from God um and one of the things one of my real pet peeves and Phoebe's gonna hear this for the thousandth time um but particularly in in Dublin they don't put out the cribs until like Christmas week or like oh, in the churches in the churches yeah so the churches will have some kind of decoration but they won't put out their their Christmas cribs until like a couple of days before Christmas. And I was always raised with um, meditating in front of the crib that doesn't yet have Jesus in it. So Mary's there and the the shepherds are there. And if you're slightly liturgically incorrect, the wise men are there. (laughs) I mean, the shepherds are also liturgically incorrect. Yeah, that's true. Um, But the the interesting thing is that because obviously the, the... Cribs are usually designed so that they're looking at a baby Jesus in the centre. Um, when you take the baby Jesus out, they're just staring at an empty spot, um, which is exactly what I'm doing, which is staring at an empty spot. And I, I've i always found that a really, really powerful prayer experience because it, it is a physical sign of, of the space that is ready to receive Jesus and hasn't yet. And that sense of like, sitting and praying and waiting and hoping and imagining because the thing is is that even when you put a little ceramic baby Jesus in the middle we can't imagine what Jesus looked like and we can't imagine the heavenly glory and we can't so anything that we do will only ever be like an earthly sign of a glory that is unimaginable so in an in some ways staring at something that just isn't there is equally a sign of unimaginable glory um, because our little ceramic baby Jesus are such a paltry such a like a small insignificant representation of what it signifies um, so yeah I kind of wish uh, I, I I really wish that they put those the cribs out sooner without the uh, without the baby Jesus in the center to give people the opportunity to pray in that way I think it's a really important part of Advent you know you can't have everything your way <laughs> so instead um I tend to turn to literature, which music, is what we're doing in this podcast and, anyway, and that that fits in pretty well with what we talk about in this podcast. So, 
Phoebe and I have picked out some of our favourite reflections and um, pieces of literature or, or art. Yeah, that encapsulate this idea of abiding in the darkness of Advent. So since I've kind of done a lot of talking, I'm going to swing over to Phoebe here. Well, I was thinking of darkness just in terms of what it means to be in the darkness. Um, and last week I was talking about the Phantom of the Opera. Mm-hmm. And this week I'm still going to be talking about the Phantom of the Opera. It's going to become like your Lord of the Rings for me. <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> I mean, that's C.S. Lewis for me. That's true. Um, but one of the main songs in it is when the Phantom has led the main character, Christine, down into the dungeons. And it's a beautiful look at how the darkness can both be a danger in term, but also how you see differently in the dark. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a dual aspect there of there is freedom in the darkness and that freedom can be dangerous if we treat it wrongly. Yeah. But that, that freedom can also lead us to a greater embracing of the light. Yeah. And... The opening lyric said that nighttime sharpens, heightens each sensation. Darkness wakes and stirs imagination. Silently, the senses abandon their defences. I, I think uh, I was chuckling a little bit to myself because I was just reminded that my friend Adam was doing some nighttime kayaking recently and their leader wouldn't let them put on any lights because it would ruin their night vision. And he was saying I, he understood the concept, but I, he thinks he might have been a bit better off with the tiny light on his on his helmet. But Well, to be fair, whenever um, I don't know if you did this, you're not quite as far in the countryside as we are, mm-hmm. so maybe not. But we used to go for like moonlit walks or starlit walks, and yeah, if you turn on a torch, you ruin your night vision. That yeah, that works if you can see the moon, but they couldn't. <laughs> Fair. Um, um, but yeah, there is there is something, and I think that's important because when we talk about darkness, it's it's important to acknowledge that usually that means a, a negative thing. If you, uh, it, it says quite often in the Bible, the things that are done in the dark, it's it's the things that you don't want seen or it's the um, it's the absence of light, which you know in this case, in the case of Advent, signifies a light that is coming. Um, but that doesn't negate the fact that there is a lot of um, that that darkness does connotate something that can be negative. But what we're talking about is also the fact that, um, and what Phoebe was saying about the rush to put on the Christmas lights is the sense that we we can see that the earth, the the moon and the stars in a way that is so much clearer if we allow ourselves to embrace the darkness. And not just the moon and the stars, but when you have even just a starlit night, you could like you see differently. Mm-hmm. Like if it's a bright moon, it sharpens everything into this kind of grey white silvery clarity. Yeah. That you don't get with daylight. Yeah. Um and it makes you look at the whole world in a different way. Mm-hmm. Or you're walking and the only way you can see the road are these tiny two bands of slightly lighter grey mm-hmm. in front of you. Yeah. Um, and it's and then it makes you use your other senses because you know you're going into the ditch because you've got a step in the mud. Yeah. Or Yeah. And like, 
I think it applies, and we talked in the last episode again about church architecture, like, if everything's lit up, there's no wonder in it. Or you can't focus on what you need to focus or on. Or you can't see some of the detail because it's the light is, is wrong. Yeah. Everything's washed out to a similar level. Um, and, yeah, so there's that kind of... That you can be almost overwhelmed by too much, too much light. Yeah, like a book I'm going to talk about later, one of the quotes in it is that darkness is the nurse of light. Yeah. And that in some way light is almost like fire in that you can have too much of a good thing. Yeah. And with all our electricity, we sometimes maybe don't appreciate the moderation of light, mm-hmm. how we should. I was, I think, I, I can't quite remember who said it, but I did see an interesting quote which was saying that they actually think that, like, they look at the enlightenment in terms of, like, a negative thing, that it was too much light that drowned out the stars above. Um, That's beautiful! <laughs> I love it! <laughs> um, not to say not to say that I, do, I don't appreciate the uh, the uh, some of the enlightenment, but I think there is something to be said for... Um, a world that's too well lit. Um, uh, I think I'm going to dive into my um, my particular quote. Okay, so this is from Patrick Kavanagh, who is actually from the same area of uh, Monaghan as my granny, and my granny actually knew who he was, and knew him when he wasn't a very nice man, but uh, he wrote incredible, incredible poetry. Um, and this is the opening to his poem, Advent, Um, which reads, We have tested and tasted too much lover. Through a chink too wide there comes in no wonder. But here in the advent-darkened room, where the dry black bread and the sugarless tea of penance will charm back the luxury of a child's soul, we'll return to doom the knowledge we stole but could not use. That's so haunting. Yeah, and it was obviously written in a time where the fasting of Advent was definitely pronounced. That's where you get the the dry black bread, or you know, the the darkened room. But that the Advent darkened room is such a encapsulating sentence that shows the the extent to which we used to embrace that sense of of darkness and Advent. And yeah, I love it, and I love that you know, all of the all of the knowledge that the world had to offer, all of its distractions and entertainments and amusements, um, they're kind of nothing, and that what we really want is this, the luxury of a child's soul, um, especially at Christmas. I think we all want to be children at Christmas. Where else would we hang up stockings? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Even my parents still regress. My dad doesn't regress being a child, but he does insist on still putting out all of the stuff that we used to when we were kids. Like, me and my brother still receive presents from from Santa Claus, um, despite us being much too old. So I, I'm sure we're committing some sort of fraud in the, in the North Pole system at this point. Um, but yeah, it's it's a beautiful time to be a child and to be around children because there is that sense of wonder um and I think one of the important points that is so clear is that and I'm sure this this does apply to stories of magic and stories of, of fantasy in general but there is something particular about Christmas and magic happening at night um I mean a Christmas carol takes place in over one night I think that's pretty telling um 
the the snowman um he comes to life at night i think even the fact that snow usually settles overnight there is that sense there's a lot of stories of like going to bed and waking up to like the fresh snow um and and yeah i remember one beautiful christmas eve where it started snowing on our way back from the midnight christmas eve service the midnight service and like just a sprinkle but we didn't trust it to settle and then we woke up the next morning to like the whole world being white Uh, yeah because that is that is the moment and uh, you know the the midnight mass with with all of the carols there's that glorious sense of like the darkness conforming into a whole new day and particularly when that day moves from what might be like a normal gray day to the darkness of night to the brilliant white of a snowy morning that is is such a contrast and such a movement through um through the signs of 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 christ in our world that i just that's so good um and even like we were saying with santa claus like santa claus comes at night you go to sleep and you wake up and in in the darkness in your brokenness in the least expected places you wake up to an abundance of grace and of gifts it's such a wonderful sign i'm such an advocate for santa claus i think he becomes so commercialized in in our time and maybe this is something we can talk about in another podcast because careful there may be kids listening i know exactly but i think it's easy to be caught up in in the presence and in the the physical things but for an entire or to throw the baby out with the bathwater or to say yeah exactly to say that it's better we should only be focusing on jesus we should only be doing this or like i'm not i'm not going to engage with that but to have a thing that we all come together in as a society that says there is wonder and magic and it's worth preserving in this world and it happens when you when you're fast asleep you know i just think that's so beautiful um, like those cheesy Christmas ads of the like little two-year-old waking up to seeing Santa. Yeah, exactly, exactly. That's it. That's I think is that for cornflakes. Yeah, it yeah. Is. Um, but and it's in all of our favorite hymns. Like everyone loves a holy night, um, and that's you know. Yeah, but before we talk about carols, I have to talk about another book. First. Okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, because it's another one that also happens at night. Yes, excellent. Keeping with the theme. <laughs> exactly. Um, so. In, in keeping with, yeah, things that happen at night, this is a book called, um, or it's a story called The Shadow or Shadows, and it's by George MacDonald, mm-hmm. who was a inspiration of C.S. Lewis's. Yeah, I think I remember, he's he's referenced in The Great Divorce. Yeah, he's, yeah. The, um, he's the teacher in The Great Divorce. Excellent. I think he was writing maybe a little early in the Chesterton. Yeah. Um, kind of, yeah, around the turn of the century when gas, or maybe even a little early again, mm-hmm. it's talking about gaslights becoming popular yeah. and um, the loss of darkness in a way. And there's two different quotes I've pulled out. One is from a journey that they take north yeah, and really relates to the snowman. Okay. Um, so it's... Um, so pure was the water beneath that the king saw neither surface, bottom, nor substance to it, and seemed to be gliding through only through the blue sphere of heaven, with the stars above him and the stars below him, and between the stars and him 
nothing but an emptiness, where, for the first time in his life, his soul felt that it had room enough. Okay, I need to read that story immediately. We can just stop the podcast now and I'll go read it. (laughs) It's not just that image of his soul felt that it had room enough. Yeah. That that light in the darkness is what gives room to our soul to drop its defences. Yeah. And explore. Yeah. It's, that's perfect. (laughs) I love it. It's great. And now I have to try and find the other quote. So it's mainly about these shadows who use their, like the flickering of the firelight or like the flickering of a single candle to bring people to the truth or to like nudge them away from doing bad or... Um, how, how have I never or, heard of this story? And Or sometimes to scare children, but... To scare them into being good. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't, but they try. Okay. And then they gather together to, like, tell their stories afterwards because they all forget their stories again when the the daylight Mm. comes. Yeah. Um, That it is only in the twilight of the fire or when one man or woman is alone with a single candle or when any number of people are all feeling the same thing at once, making them one, that we show ourselves and the truth of things. And then the main character asks, Can that be true that loves the night? The darkness is the nurse of light, answered the shadow. Can that be true which mocks at form, said the king. Truth rides abroad in shapeless storms. Oh, that's, yeah, truth. What is that? Truth Truth rides abroad in shapeless storms. That's They're such a... constantly changing, but the core of them is solid. Yeah. That's such a different way of approaching it. And we were discussing whether darkness can can be good. Um, and, you know, when you look at the Genesis story, uh, God looks at the light and says it's good, and then he separates the day from the night. Um, and so I was kind of querying, is it is it correct to say that the darkness is good? Now, the darkness is created by God, so it is good. And then I challenged that on the basis that darkness in itself isn't a thing, it's an absence. Yeah. But then when we say darkness, we're really talking about a small amount of light. Yeah. And is a small amount of light? Well, it's good. Well, it's definitely good if you're trying to get to sleep. Yeah. Yeah, because the thing is that, like, I think, I think I would be afraid of. I think I was saying I would be afraid of an abyss of darkness. If there oh, were yeah. no light, I think the the abyss is is a kind of a horrifying idea. Even, yeah, when you wake up at night and it's pitch black, it's it's a scary it, experience. But then, when we talk about darkness, what we're usually talking about is like a very tiny amount of light that casts its shadow and gives you a sense of where you are in the space but leaves the room for the soul yeah. like you were saying and don't get me wrong that darkness can still be scary yeah um like the king says you frighten the children and they respond very seldom your majesty and then only for their good we seldom seek to frighten anybody we mostly want to make people silent and thoughtful to awe them just a little 
And I think there's something about the darkness that also entreats the silence. Mm, totally. Um, and silence is so much what we need, particularly in Advent, but in every aspect of our lives. And we're scared of silence too. Yeah, because it's a lack. It's a lack of noise. It's a lack of light. It's it's a lack of distraction. It's a lack of anything except your soul and the encounter with God. Um, and I think that's where that sense of like the, the still and the quiet and what I was just about to say before you, you jumped in with your incredible quotes. Well, I have one more, which is um, a bit of a tongue twister, so I'll try and say it slowly. Just fancy what it might be if some flitting thought were to persist in staying to be looked at. That's so beautiful. Oh, I love that. And that is really what we're talking about here. And I love it. I'll make you read the whole book and then you can just talk That's about fine. it. <laughs> but I was going to say that I think it's telling that a lot of the carols that we sing at this time of year, and again, it makes sense because it's midwinter, things are dark, um, but they do really linger on that sense of darkness, night, silent night. Um, those two words, silent and night, are the <laughs> are the kind of go-to words for this. But like, uh, oh, holy night. But it's... Yeah, the one I thought of was, and I was thinking about darkness, not silence at the time, mm. but let all mortal flesh keep silent. Mm. But to me, it doesn't actually mention darkness, but it has a haunting yeah. echo of darkness in it. Yeah. Like that hush. And the same with In, in the Bleak Midwinter, Frosty yeah. Wind Made Moan. It's, and I don't think even that one's at my no. time, but there's that, that bleak stillness. And then um, I think... I and then keep... you've got the bursting forth of joy of the angels. Yeah. And that's that's particularly in A Holy Night. Um, and I love also Good King Wenceslas. Um, God loves Good King Wenceslas. He last looked out on the Feast of Stephen when the snow lay round about, deep and crisp and even, brightly shone the moon that night, though the frost was cruel. Um, that's yeah. I I always come back to Good King Wenceslas. I like I I don't like to give myself a favorite carol, but that's the one that does tend to come back. Um, and then I think just to close out this discussion, I have one rather long quote, and um, and this is from Balthazar, and it's his Christmas sermon, which is uh, which here is called Into the Dark with God, but I've seen it have a couple of different names, but it's in a collection called. Uh, you crown the year with your glory, which gives different sermons for different times of the year. Um, but it's a Christmas meditation on the incarnation for a troubled world. Um, so it, it begins, and I'm going to I'm going to go through this, but I'll skip some lines um, just because it's quite a lot. <laughs> so um, hopefully they all connect up all right. Um, the Lord has left his glory behind him and gone into the dark world, into the child's apparent insignificance. On Christmas night, the shepherds are addressed by an angel who shines upon them with the blinding glory of God, and they are very much afraid. The tremendous, unearthly radiance shows that the angel is a messenger of heaven and clothes him with an incontrovertible authority. With this authority, he commands them to not be afraid, but to embrace the great joy he is announcing to him. Then we read, the angels went away from them into heaven. In all probability, the singing was very beautiful, and the shepherds were glad to listen. Doubtless they were sorry when the concert was over and the performers disappeared behind heaven's curtain. 
Probably, however, they were secretly a little relieved when the unwanted light of divine glory and the unwanted sound of heavenly music came to an end, and they found themselves once more in their familiar earthly darkness. They probably felt like shabby beggars who had been suddenly set at a king's audience chamber among courtiers dressed in magnificent robes and were glad to slip away unnoticed and take to their heels. But the strange thing is that the intimidating glory of the heavenly realm, which has now vanished, has left behind a human glow of joy in their souls, a light of joyous expectation, reinforcing the heavenward-pointing angel's word and causing them to set out for Bethlehem. So it goes on, and the whole thing is really beautiful, but I just think that that's such a, an important point, is that the... The angels come and they're in their glory, but they even even the angels point to a, a greater glory. And that that greater glory isn't covered in that radiant light and noise. No. But has to be thought in the twilight. I'm not going to say quite in the darkness, but mm-hmm. in the quieter light yeah. and in... The quieter noises. Yeah, and it, that's exactly the point that he makes. I'm yeah. trying to see if I can see exactly. Yes, here it is. Um, what is the point of my efforts, my dedication, my sacrifice, my pleading to God for a world that is resolved to perish? So they set off, heaven behind them, and the earthly sign before them. But Lord, what a sign. Not even the child, but a child, some child or other. No special child, not a child radiating a light of glory as the religious painters depicted, but on the contrary, a child that looks as inglorious as possible. I love that sentence. Wrapped in swaddling clothes so that it cannot move. It lies there, imprisoned as it were, in the clothes in which it had been wrapped through the solicitude of others. There is nothing elevating about the manger in which it lies, either, either. Nothing even remotely corresponding to the heavenly glory of the singing angels. There is practically nothing even half worth seeing. The destination of the shepherd's nightly journey is the most ordinary scene. Indeed, in its poverty, it is decidedly disappointing. It is something entirely human and ordinary, something quite profane, in no way distinguished except for the fact that it is the promised sign and it fits. I can't remember who it was. It might have been Hans Urs von Balthasar talking about this or someone else. But that just reminds me of um, someone saying that when the shepherds come to see Mary and Joseph and the child, they see someone who is just like them. Yeah. Whereas when the wise men come, they see the humility, that great humility stooped so low. Mm, That's really interesting, yeah. Um, that it's a really interesting dichotomy of familiar, familiar and, yeah. and lowly. So yeah. it's both just like me and even lower than me. And then awe-inspiring. Yeah, all in one. Yeah. Um, yeah, I I really, I try to, one of the things I like to do is uh, set up some really cheesy fairy lights and I'm not even talking like the nice ones you get now that look all Instagram worthy like I have big chunky ones from probably the 80s if I'm guessing my parents do they not also look Instagram worthy Rachel probably but um they're they're pretty old and, and chunky and I 
but I do I, for whenever I'm both in Dublin and when I go home to my parents, I always make sure to um, chuck them onto some piece of furniture in my room. And I try to spend as much time in my room with the lights off and just the fairy lights on and expect the glory that is to come and to to sit and wonder and think that that it comes when you least expect it and it comes when things couldn't be worse it comes at the darkest point of the year and it transforms our life when it does come um, and I think I I, I know a lot of people who love Advent, so I'm not going to say, oh, well, Advent is my favourite time of the year. I think, particularly for practising Catholics, uh, I think a lot of people really like it. But And then I think a lot of us struggle with it. I think a lot of us are really wrestle with the fact that the secular world wants nothing to do with it. It wants to get to Christmas as quickly as possible. And then finish Christmas as quickly as possible. You've got to get on your January detox and your fitness plans and your new resolutions as quickly as possible which um i think we might discuss it again because um i'm sure we can gripe about that in another podcast yeah um because i'm a big advocate for little christmas or uh, the feast of the epiphany um which is on the sixth for anyone who isn't sure um and is in fact the 12th day of christmas i did have someone ask me recently why why did we count Christmas from 12 days before it? And I had to break it to them that it's the 12 days after Christmas. Um, you get a full 12 days if you if you really commit. Um, but we get... Thankfully, a, it's not supposed to be 12 days of eating turkey. Yeah, that's true. Um, and it's also not 24 days of Advent. Um, that's just how they manufacture Advent calendars for each year. <laughs> Um, we we get even more than twenty four days of Advent. Um, Advent starts the week after next, does it? <gasps> Don't tell me that. <laughs> I'm not sure. Does it start? Uh, yeah, I'm sure. The it last does. week of November or the first week of December, weekend of December. I think it might Best be. Check. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, hopefully we'll have this episode out early enough that you've still got a chunk of Advent to go. Um, but anyone listening, um, take this as your invitation to. Sit quietly in the dark and um, and contemplate the beauty and the mystery of the child Jesus. But we're not done yet. We're not. You have to tell me what literature you're enjoying at the moment. Well, I, I, I can pick any. Right? Was it literature or what was it? Anything. Art? Anything that's inspiring yeah. you. Really. What is inspiring you at the moment? Because I'm not going to actually answer a book. I have started a book, um, which I am very much enjoying, but I don't think I've read enough of it yet to give it the full stamp of approval which is um the fall of gondolin the 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 first i think it might be the first book that told or story that tolkien wrote in the middle earth um in the middle earth series and it's going to be the last that they release and you're definitely going to have to talk about it again yeah so i'm going to leave that one for now and instead i'm going to talk about a tv program which is going to fit in perfectly with what we've been talking about because it is to me the coziest and winteriest of all tv programs and that is the um sherlock holmes that was the itv one starring jeremy brett um it's the one made in the 80s um it's in color that's how you differentiate it from the basil rathbone ones um and it is my favorite thing to watch with my dad when i'm home and i was home two weekends ago and we just watched a lot of 
Sherlock Holmes, um, he'll say to me at the end of the dinner, are we going to watch a Jeremy Brett? And I always say yes. Um, I think it's just one of the best examples of a translation from book to screen. I think Jeremy Brett is the ideal Sherlock. And I think they're so wonderful with their Victorian gaslight and smoke. And to be honest, a lot of them are set in summer and a lot of them are actually set in the countryside. But I always think of the, the Victorian London streets uh, or the foggy moors and uh, they're just wonderful and I love them very much. I would recommend it to anyone. I thought you were going to say Over the Garden Wall. Oh, I do love it, Over the Garden Wall. I have watched that twice in autumn. It is the most autumnal series I've ever seen. It's a, it's a kid's cartoon series um, and I it's on Netflix at the moment and I would really recommend it. And you take great delight in showing it to anyone who hasn't seen it before. It's spectacular. It really is. And each episode is only like 10, 15 minutes long. So you can convince yourself you're only going to watch one and then you can watch them all. Or you can convince yourself you're going to watch a movie and just watch all the episodes. Yeah, exactly. So that's three things. The the the, the Fall of Gondolin, the Sherlock Holmes with Jeremy Brett, and Over the Garden Wall, which features a Lord of the Rings actor, Elijah Wood, in it. And Does that mean I get three as well? Yes. Oh, Never mind, I'm only going to choose one. (laughs) I can't think of three right now. But I am reading The Once and Future King. Which she has taken once I finished it, which was a couple of weeks ago. A bit more than that. I've been reading it quite slowly. Well, I I took about four months to read it. I know. Um, And I am very excited to have someone else on this journey with me because I cannot recommend that book enough. Yeah, it is beautiful. And, yeah, one of the things that really fascinated me is it's set in... It's a retelling of the Arthurian legend. Mm-hmm. And for anyone who has seen the Disney, um, The Sword and the Stone, technically The Once and Future King is split into five books and The Sword and the Stone is the first one of them. But um, it's usually just sold as one big book. Um, but, yeah, so that that's what the Disney adaptation is based on. But I think it is quite different to the books. I haven't seen the Disney one in ages. So. I don't think I've ever seen the Disney one. Mm. But what really caught me about the village in this, the middle of this, like, not even medieval forest. Maybe just about medieval? Yeah, early yeah, medieval? Yeah, yeah, early yeah. Middle Ages. Yeah. Um, oh, very medieval. Yeah. Okay. Um, it still feels so wild. Yeah. Um, but it's this village, and when this boy gets lost in the forest, he describes a forest that he doesn't know what's beyond it. Mm-hmm. And it just blew my mind yeah. that people could live happily. I'm not, this isn't mm. a criticism at all, that people would live out their entire lives in a village, in a forest, not knowing what was beyond that forest. Mm-hmm. And it really made me rethink what our boundaries are and how much we actually need to know. Yeah. Yeah. And how much our, like, it it also recalled a talk I heard a while ago that was talking about immigrants and how we are all immigrants when we move away from home for any reason other than like sheer choice. If we move for work, if we move for um, because we feel the need to, mm-hmm. that is in a sense immigration, mm-hmm. and that there is sorrow with that. Yeah, and it was so strange to me to think of it that way because the world tells us. We should move. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's just been a really interesting 
yeah. thing to think about. And it's a it's a book that I really recommend in terms of the way that it describes the natural world. It's it's a book that takes real joy and beauty and in in crafting the the world. A lot of it's mainly the natural. There's not a lot of um, it is medieval, so there is a town and there is a, a one point city, but it, there's just it, he the author T H White is, does such a beautiful job of representing a world that's real, but it's also tinged with magic. And I love how he also goes back and resets the world a little, yeah. not changes it, but gives you like an extra description. So mm-hmm. he doesn't yeah. give you the whole thing at once. He then goes back and like. It's like an artist going back and like adding some extra color in and after you've had time embellishments. To appreciate. And yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that I, I I suspect we'll be doing a full episode on it once you've got it finished. But I'm very very I'll excited have to, hurry up, sir. to have you on this journey, <laughs> so I can share it with someone. Um, okay, well, I think that's everything, um, and I hope you enjoyed our long stumbling through the dark trying to describe the the joy of darkness (laughs) and uh, we look forward to having you with us again soon and we hope you get to enjoy some starlight yes happy advent i think you can say that i'm not sure you can say happy lent but i think you can say happy advent rejoice in advent maybe i'm sure we can say that well what, what we can definitely say is goodbye this has been risking enchantment Music by Kevin MacLeod. You can follow me on Instagram and Twitter with the handle at SeekingWatson. And you can find out more about me and the podcast at rachelsherlock.com. Thank you and God bless.